0: drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm your host today, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, don't hesitate to shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. com. was uh, finishing up some holiday plans with one of the kids before they went back to college. So Rob and I switched today. I did some fun cat skiing out of Schweitzer in Idaho. So that that was a good time for sure. So thanks for Rob for swapping days with me. But I want to go over a couple of things as we start the new year, first show of the new year. And during the holidays, I I the last podcast, I talked a bit about the Secure 2.0 Act that had passed Congress and was just waiting for Biden's signature, which he did sign before the end of the year. So let's go over some of those changes real quick in case you missed it over the holidays. First of all, required minimum distribution. This is the age at which you have to start pulling money out of IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, all those types of plans where you get to put money away pre tax, let it grow tax deferred for, uh, you know, until in the past, it used to be age 70 and a half. Then it turns to set age 72. But as of the end of 2023, it's now 73. So, hey, if you were turning 72 this year and you thought you're going to have to start pulling money out of your IRAs and things like that, you don't. It's moved to age 73. And it's actually going to move all the way up to age 75 starting in 2023. So, in other words, if you turn 73 this year, your required minimum distributions kick in, but technically it's not until April 1st of 2024. So what's that mean? It means that for older listeners that were working on IRA to Roth conversions, you basically have one more year. And that's where you decide to take some money out of your IRA, convert it to a Roth at a certain amount to max out existing tax brackets, pay the taxes now and let it grow tax-free forever. And that actually helps reduce your required minimum distributions later in life. So very, very important tax planning tool from the date of retirement to the date that you have to start taking required minimum distributions. Now, there's a lot of other decent things in uh, uh, the Secure Act 2.0. One thing that I didn't mention last time is the creation of Roth simple IRAs and Roth SEP IRAs beginning with this year. And what these are is... uh, SEP IRAs are very, it's one of the easiest things to set up for a self-employed person. And simple IRAs is a retirement plan, very easy to set up a retirement plan for small businesses. And it's a little lower contributions than 401ks, but now with the ability to do Roth simple IRAs, it's actually fairly attractive for small businesses. Um, there is a lot in this plan too that helps small businesses in any business for that matter, set up a 401k if they don't have it. There's certain credits and things like that. Another big one that I wanted to mention again is these 529 plan to Roth IRA rollovers. Now, what are 529 plans? This is a, a savings vehicle for college where you put money into a, an account um, and you know you can go to savingforcollege.com um, to, to look at various 529 plans But what the money gets invested in the market and in portfolios that are used typically based on the child's age, it's very aggressive when they're young and then it becomes more conservative as they get closer to the age of 18. It grows tax deferred and as long as the money's pulled out for educational costs. The earnings are all tax free. And as planners, we're typically looking to fund the cost of college with those things no more than around 80% because a lot of times you plan for a kid to go to college and they'll get some scholarships, some assistance. I've told a story about my oldest going to Texas Tech and got a small scholarship, which got him in-state tuition day one. Um, I've got, gosh, my third child going to college next year and is already getting scholarships to help offset, you know, out-of-state tuition and things like that because a good GPA, thank God. But you, you, there's always some assistance, some help, some grants, especially if the child has good grades. So you don't want to end up with too much money in these things. Well, now that's not as much of an issue because you can now roll the excess. You could always roll it to a different person in the family. In other words, change the beneficiary from one kid to another or even your spouse if they want to go back to college or wait and change it to a grandkid once you have grandkids. But now, you can actually, if you meet criteria, roll the excess money from a 529 plan into a Roth IRA for that kid. The 529 plan must have been held for the beneficiary for at least 15 years. Contributions and related earnings in the last five years are not eligible. It's got to be a trustee-to-trustee transfer. And... The annual rollover limit is the amount eligible to be contributed to a Roth IRA reduced by any contributions made that year. So the total rollovers may not exceed 35000 So it's not a 35000 immediate rollover. It's kind of over time. So but th- that's interesting. That's a, a good problem to have, right? Oh, my gosh, I ended up with too much money in my kid's savings account for college. Good problem to have and a very uncommon problem, oddly enough. But at least now you can turn it into a retirement vehicle for that child if you meet that criteria. Speaking of retirement, a lot of the other changes don't start kicking in until next year and the year after. For example, beginning in 2025, workers from the age of 60 to 63 will be allowed to make catch-up contributions of $10,000. Now that's a 50% hike over the current catch-up of $6,500 for 401k plans. So, and, and I'm going to go over some of the other 401k changes here a little bit later in the show, but one of the things that's great, I really like this, is qualified charitable distributions. This is one of the best things that happened to charities, in my opinion, in recent tax history. And in this situation, you're allowed to, once you turn 70 and a half, you are allowed to give to your favorite nonprofits, your 503c nonprofits up to a hundred grand a year out of your IRA without paying taxes on it. So if you have money sitting in a, in an IRA, that's typically money that you, that you put in, you got a tax deduction and it's all grown tax deferred. But if you take the money out, you're going to pay taxes on it. So instead of paying taxes on it, you can instead send that money directly to your charity up to a hundred grand a year. And, um, that is now, it's not only permanent, but it is also going to start being indexed to inflation. And so that's really, really good because a lot of the changes made in 2017 made it so that most retirees are not itemizing their deductions and all of a sudden they weren't getting a tax savings out of giving to charity. So once you turn 70 and a half, for most, the number one best way to give to charity is these qualified charitable distributions. Second, giving highly appreciated stock And rarely is it just giving cash. So keep that in mind. It might change the way that you do your charitable gifting. And that's one of the things that as you start to prepare to do your taxes for the year, because, hey, remember, we got this upcoming deadline, January 17th of 2023. Right? That's that's when you're quarterly estimated payment your final one for 2022 is due and uh, so you're going to start preparing your taxes and one of the things that you need to talk to your tax preparer about is are you getting a deduction for your charitable contributions are you itemizing or are you just taking the standard deduction that's one of a very important thing for you to know as you do your tax return because that helps make decisions on how you do your charitable contributions if you're taking the standard deduction and giving cash to your charities, you're not really getting anything out of it except for like, what, 300 bucks of a deduction. But um, if you either are giving a highly appreciated stock or money right out of your IRA if you're over 70 and a half or funding what's called a donor advised fund with several years worth of gifting at once, that's going to be typically a much better strategy for you tax-wise as you go forward. And keep that in mind, that, that January 17th, it's usually January 15th, but we got holidays coming up. So January 17th. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the Suitcases Always Packed Pass. Or the Wait, I Get to Choose from 100,000 Trips Pass, the Will It Be the Beach, City, Mountains, or All Three Pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month
2: with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com
1: kind of clicking around during the break looking at uh, a couple of different things because yeah I mean last year was a rough year in the market and you know this is my 29th year in the business so I'm these types of situations we plan for it as we go into retirement by having the proper amount of safe money and dividend and interest income to support that to get through rough markets and then if you look backwards I mean the market tends to when you look at 15 plus year averages 10% you know, 10% or more but the average annual rate of return tends to be over a long period of time. And there's plenty of times where the market's been down two years in a row and only about twice since the Great Depression was down been down three years in a row. But to put it in perspective, even though the S&P 500 was down almost 18% last year, we look at a five-year return of the S&P 500 total return with dividends reinvested. It's up over 51% over the last five years. Pretty darn good odds. Uh, so, uh, you know, thoughts, overall thoughts is, you know, everybody expect, he's expecting a little bit of a rough start to the year. Uh, how the Feds are raising rates and how that's affecting companies and then the labor market, which is still very tight. Inflation coming down, but many aspects of inflation are sticky. So, you know, everybody's expecting a bit of a rocky start to the first of the year. And that's just... You know, everybody's saying the same thing. So expect some more volatility. We'll get into that uh, maybe more in a different show. I did want to remind people of upcoming tax deadlines, January 17th. What do you have to do? Well, if you... um, Essentially, if you look at your tax return last year, you got to know how much did I pay in taxes last year? And by January 17th of 2023 if you're dealing with your 2022 tax return you're going to want to make sure that either through withholding or estimated payments or a combination if you're doing both that you pay in at least 90% of the tax that you owe for the current year or 100% of the tax shown on your return for the, private, the, the previous year whichever is smaller now if you're a higher income earner if your AGI your adjusted gross income is over 150 grand married or 75 if you're single um, it's Either ninety percent of the tax shown on, the, of the, that you're going to owe this year, or one hundred and ten percent of the tax that you paid in twenty twenty one, whichever is lower. And this has been an interesting year because people have much lower capital gains in twenty twenty two than they did in twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one was a year where mutual funds distributed really large capital gains. There's a lot more trading because of the COVID issues and rebalancing. And so you may be pleasantly surprised if you do a check-in and you realize that, oh, hey, my tax hit isn't going to be as much, maybe your estimated payment can change a little bit. For retired people that start taking their uh, you know distributions out of their IRAs and living off of it, I like to make sure that the withholding essentially sets them up so they don't have to pay the estimated taxes. It makes it nice because if you're retired, you're traveling a lot, you're busy, those quarterly payments can be a pain. That deadline's coming up, so, so make sure you check that out to avoid penalties and interest when you can. All right, now I wanted to get into a couple of things, which helps us talk about some of the changes in deferral limits for 401ks. It's such a change. When I think back of when I used to, when I got into the business uh, a little over 28 years ago, the most you could put into an IRA was two thousand dollars, and then 401ks were limited to a maximum of ten percent or ten grand a year. And it's much, much higher than that now. Most Americans cannot afford to even max out their 401k. So they're trying to get that tool all taken care of before they even go into other savings vehicles. And let me start out with an email from Ben. Ben says, I'll be turning 50 in 2023 and plan to max out my 401k at 43500 which is for the employer... And essentially, he's going to do the $22,500 employee deferral and $7,500 catch-up amount. He says, the employer contribution is pre-tax, but the employee contribution and catch-up can be either pre-tax or Roth. Currently, my 401k has 7.5% in Roth money and the rest is pre-tax money. I plan to work for another 15 years. I'm in a high tax bracket. Would you recommend that I contribute my employee and catch-up as pre-tax or Roth or a mix? Well, Ben, that's a good question. And so let me get into that because the, the, that's a tough one. First of all, if we, if we talk about should you be putting your deferral, and this is a big change, the amount that you can put into a 401k deferral for 2023 is now twenty two thousand five hundred, and the catch up contribution, if you're going to be fifty or older by the end of 2023, is seventy five hundred. That's thirty grand that you can put into a 401k now if you're over 50. And so the question is, is that, okay, Ben's got some money into the 401k. He's He's been saving, but I don't know his situation. Is he ahead of the game on his financial plan or is he behind the game? If I ran a financial plan for him, a very you know, detailed cash flow analysis where I could say, okay, this is how much you're going to have at retirement. And then clearly see, are you going to be at a higher or lower tax bracket throughout retirement? That what is what determines on how much I recommend going in pre-tax versus Roth. So Ben's been doing this for a while. He's turning 50. And so the question is, is are you ahead of the game or behind the game? If you're behind in savings, if you're just trying to catch up, then you're probably going to be at a much lower bracket in retirement. So enjoy the tax deferral, that the, the tax savings, go pre-tax now. And then deal with converting to a Roth, and when you're in a much lower tax bracket in retirement. When you're younger, you're you know 23, 24 years old, finally you know got a decent job, you're able to save five, ten percent of your pay into your 401k. You're at the lowest bracket you're probably ever going to be at. So going Roth is makes a hundred percent sense because younger people, you're going to be facing way higher taxes in the future because this is the lowest tax bracket I've seen in 28 years, yet our budget deficits continue to increase. So taxes are going to go up in the future. So enjoy that Roth. I hope that makes sense. But part of it is is I'll, I'll talk about looking at your tax bracket in the future. So when you look at these 401k plans, he, he, I want to make sure that you're understanding what your options are because so many companies are now uh, offering this mega 401k Roth in their plans. If you look at Microsoft, Cisco, Apple, all these companies, uh Salesforce, um, they're allowing people to put in their deferral amount, which is $22,500 if you're under 50 or t- $30,000 if you're over 50 with that $7,500 catch-up. But then on top of that, you can add after-tax contributions that immediately that you can have converted to the Roth bucket inside your 401k. So that means most Americans can use their 401k as their primary and in some cases only savings vehicle because they can't afford to max anything else out after that. And I'm going to use an example here in a moment after the break on, I could probably get into it now, but on, on a higher level of comp because this is typically people that they're hit their, their stride in their income maybe kids are out of college, they can finally afford to start saving and catching up for retirement. And the first one I'm going to give is is going to be an example of somebody that's 50 or, or that's under the age of 50 and then somebody that's over the age of 50. How much you can get away on the deferral plus the after-tax to Roth where we have examples here, people getting an extra 30 grand a year into a Roth 401k bucket It's going to grow tax-free for the rest of their lives.
2: Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton.
1: Okay, let's let's get into the math, right? ready? You guys ready for math at 6:34 in the morning? <laughs> um but it's important because the Mega Roth 401k is one of the best savings vehicles I've ever seen. So let's talk about this. And again, I'm going to use some higher income numbers um, because this is when people can tend to afford to max this out. They've hit their earning stride. They finally have extra money to save. They're trying to catch up and save for retirement. So let's say your 401k has a 6% match at work where they match you dollar for dollar up to 6% of pay. And you're making 180 grand a year. And so you got a 6% match. If, this scenario, this person is is under the age of fifty, so they're able to put in twenty two thousand five hundred as a pre tax deferral into their four hundred one k. All right. Now the company match of six percent of comp is going to be ten thousand eight hundred in this situation. But there's actually more that you can do on top of this because the the IRS limits for how much can go into a four hundred one k this year. For people that are under the age of 50 is $66,000 for all sources. So you have your deferral, your catch up, your company match, in some cases, a company profit share, which we don't see that much, that often, but that comes into the math. And then if the plan allows it, if the plan document allows it, you can put in an after tax contribution. So that all sources make a total of 66 grand. So in this scenario, this person's doing $22,500 as a pre-tax. They're getting a company match of $10,800. That leaves $32,700 that they can contribute out of their paycheck after tax into the 401k plan. And most of those 401k plans that allow for that allow for those dollars. And in some cases, it just happens automatically. In other cases, you have to submit a form on a monthly or quarterly basis. It moves the money from the after-tax bucket inside your 401k to the Roth bucket. And that is a non-taxable event. The only taxes that you might pay if like you know, if it's the type of plan that you have to do it on a monthly or quarterly basis, and there's some earnings that occurs during that period of time, that small amount is slightly taxable. But But look, in this situation... This person is getting twenty two thousand five hundred that's growing tax deferred. The ten thousand eight hundred dollar company match is growing tax deferred. And then they're saving thirty-two thousand seven hundred a year on top of that. That's going into a Roth bucket that's going to grow tax free for the rest of their lives. The rest of their lives. Now the question is, is that, you know, can you afford that much, right? You're making $180, you're putting $22,500 pre-tax plus another thirty-seven thousand or thirty-two thousand seven hundred after tax into that four oh one K plan um you know depending on your expenses and where you live can you can you afford to do that if so that's that's amazing now when you're over 50 in that scenario remember when you're over 50 there's a $7,500 tax uh, uh, catch up contribution that you can make so the IRS limit for somebody that's over 50 this year for a total amount of money that can go into a 401k for all sources is 73,500 so in that same scenario, if the person is making one hundred and eighty grand with that six percent match, and they're fifty or over this year, they can do twenty two thousand five hundred pre tax deferral, or Roth if they wanted to. They could do another seventy five hundred pre tax catch up contribution or Roth contribution if they want the tax free growth. And if we sub- do, if we have the ten thousand eight hundred dollar company match. Again, that's another thirty-two thousand seven hundred or so that can go into the after-tax to Roth, and that that's huge. That's a lot of money that can go into that four hundred one k plan, with half of it going into the Roth bucket, growing tax-free for the rest of that person's life. So for January, right? We have you know the, the chance now that you can change your deferral amounts, get this going on the right track. So that you can go into your system, log into your 401k, and choose the right amount of money that you're deferring percentage-wise for your deferral, your catch-up, and your after-tax contribution if your company allows it. And if you're getting a salary plus a bonus, typically you have choices how much percentage you're deferring of both. And... So in order to levelize this, so it's, it's not, you know, you, know oh, you don't think about this until June and then all of a sudden you're really getting hit on your take home pay. Do it now. Log in, you know, this weekend, go into your 401k, log in and, and figure out what your options are. Other issues that as you log into this in, in 2023 and, and look at your 401k, rebalance your 401k. If anything, you let 2022, you need to realize that overweighting in either a specific sector like tech or a specific sector like just large-cap growth where value drastically uh, outperformed. It was down much less than growth. Make sure that you have a diversified portfolio. You're looking at large-cap, small-cap, mid-cap, international emerging markets, and then the balance between value and growth investing. You're starting to see a lot of calls for Overseas stocks, because when the dollar has reached a high versus other currencies, and looks like it's going to start retreating against other currencies, and those other countries have very cheap valuations, that's typically the time we get set up for international stocks to go through a cycle of outperformance. Now, granted, we have how is COVID affecting China? We have Russia. You know, if if it wasn't for those two things, it would be an an easy pick and possibly time to overweight international, but not yet. You still want some of that exposure though. (laughs) Um, The other thing I want people to think about in 2023 as they go through this is is that, okay, you might've listened to what I just said and said, I can't afford to put a a bunch of money into my 401k after tax, even though that mega Roth 401k sounds super attractive. I can't afford to do that. But yeah, what if you're getting RSUs? If the company that you work for is giving you RSUs as those vest, they typically, you know, sell some shares to do th- some withholding. There is no tax purpose for continuing to hold those after they vest. They're 100% taxable as they vest. So treat them as income, especially if you're already overweight in your company's stock. Go in and just sell the rest of them and reinvest the money. Now, in, in a case where cash flow is tight, and you're trying to do the Mega Roth 401k, maybe you're starting to defer more of your money after tax into the 401k so you can do this Mega Roth 401k and then start selling your RSUs and using that as income, right? If you're able to do the Mega Roth 401k and you know, you're know you still already overweight in that company stock that you already work for, as, you, as those RSUs vest, sell them, and, but, but reinvest those immediately, A lot of people have RSUs and employee stock purchase plans where they get a discount on their employer stock, sell the RSUs as they invest and invest it immediately elsewhere for your future. And then the ESPPs are the ones are, are the better ones to hold, especially if you kind of take that. There's a whole bunch of rules I'm not going to get into on it, but if you kind of say, okay, I'm going to hold these for two years before I sell to get the best tax treatment, Uh, a little more complicated than that. But if you pick the two year timeframe, you'll, you'll typically be safer. Um, so the other thing that you can think about as you go into the new year is knowing your tax bracket and diversifying your contributions. So this goes back to the email question that Ben had a little bit earlier. Hey, how much do I put away pre-tax in my 401k to get an immediate tax deduction? And then that money grows tax deferred, but it's 100% taxable when you take it out. Or maybe I forego the current tax deduction and put all of my deferrals in my 401k into the Roth bucket where I don't get an immediate tax break, but it grows tax free for the rest of my life. As you're getting towards the point of preparing to file your taxes, please make it a year where you get to know how your tax brackets work. It's a, it's a laddered approach. It's not all of your money taxed at a certain bracket. It goes through different phases. Now, when you're young, single, you know, under a 22% federal tax bracket, um you know which is typically under 89,000 of taxable income go roth put that money into the roth 401k you don't need a current tax break you need to realize that you're going to have to be funding this you know 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day and and medicare and social security is all being strained and you know budget deficits too. you're going to pay higher pa- taxes in the future so forgo the current tax bracket and just fund roths so tell your kids that but it gets it becomes a little bit different when you start to get into the higher income brackets, and I already talked about are you ahead of the game in retirement planning or behind? If you're behind, you're typically wanting that tax savings. If you're ahead of the game, maybe it's time to start giving up some of the tax break for tax diversification and funding that roth. So let me give you an example. let's say you're married finally jointly right and and by the time you do a, a an analysis you started you're starting to look at your 2022 tax return and after your itemized deductions and everything else your taxable income is 200 grand so you're, you're a high income earner well at that rate the 22% bracket for married filing jointly is 190,750 after you have taxable income above that that next amount is at a 24% bracket and if that person's deferring 22 grand a year, maybe they're going to want to do 10,000 pre-tax to get back to the 22% bracket and the rest of the deferral into the Roth 401k. So they're they're doing a mix based on where they're sitting in the tax brackets. Now let's talk about going beyond the 401k now. So it's it's interesting to to see the changes of this over the last, you know, 28 plus years, but now Because if you're 50 or older, you can put 30 K into the 401k between your, your salary deferral and your catch up contributions. Plus in like that example, I gave you over 30,000 after tax in many 401k plans that get put into a Roth. That's what most people can afford to save. So what I see a lot of, especially in the Bay Area is then you have, okay, I can also put into, you know, 10% into my employee stock purchase plan where I'm buying company stock at a discount. And then you can even do a Roth IRA or if you make too much money, a non-deductible IRA contribution that you convert to a Roth called a backdoor Roth IRA for another 6,500 or 7,500 if you're going to be over 50 this year. That's a lot of money that you can sock away into those different plans. Right. Notice that I didn't say, uh, you know, start a life insurance plan with cash value that grows tax free for you and, and allows you to access a tax free for the rest of your life. That is a horrible idea for 99% of the population. I just want to point that out that typically those types of plans are a terrible idea for 99% of the population. You're much better at maxing out your 401k, maxing out your Roth IRA, buying real estate, saving money in an after tax account in, you know, large cap ETFs. And then when you get to the point where you're like, hey i'm I'm one of the top one percent earners I got a ton of cash but I got enough stock. I have enough real estate i don't want any more, and I don't want bonds, then maybe that might work for you, but just steer clear of that stuff. just steer clear of it. so we talked also a little bit about making sure that you're treating your your r s u s which is the most common type of options out there now where you get a certain amount of company' stock that vests on a quarterly basis and Nowadays RSUs there's not a tax reason to hold them after they vest. If you really love the company stock that you work for and you're not o- overweight in it then, you know, fine continue to hold them, but most people should be using those as income. They vest, you go on sell the shares, turn around and reinvest them. Now the first place to start is you can open up just a, you know, brokerage account at Fidelity or Schwab for that matter. And you can look at large-cap ETFs, whether it's the S&P 500, total stock market, an equal weight S&P 500 ETF, or maybe a dividend achiever ETF, where dividend achievers, they look at the mostly large-cap, a little bit of mid-cap, but they focus on companies that have a history of increasing their dividend by 10% on an average basis over a 10-year period, where they look at that company that is such an important part of investing is, is companies that pay dividends. And I'm not talking about high yield companies like a company that's yielding over four or five, 6% and borrowing money to pay that dividend with, you know, horrible dividend payout ratios. It not, no, I'm talking about companies that I want grow. Companies that are still going to grow their earnings, but every quarter they pay their shareholders some profit and they have a history of increasing that distribution by 10% a year. Um, there's a whole book that Rob and I used to talk about called Merchants Dividend Achievers. And I think NASDAQ bought that index. Uh, and then there's lots of ETFs that kind of copy that type of investing. And, um, look, since 1945, when, when we look back at the stock market, we tend to see 10 to 11% average annual rates of return when you look at 15, 20 year periods. And you can assume that now over the shorter term, the market can be a lot more volatile but 10 to 11%. But since 1945, according to CNBC, dividend reinvestment contributed to 33% of the overall return of the S&P 500. So people will go on to their brokerage accounts now and they'll buy an ETF, but they aren't reinvesting their dividends. Oftentimes you have to go back in once you purchase that ETF to make sure that dividends are being reinvested. It's a little tip for you there. Make sure those dividends are reinvested if you're in the wealth accumulation phase. As you, the, the best types of assets to own in your taxable accounts are typically large cap ETFs, mid cap ETFs, you know, US based. And then if you need bonds, obviously tax free bonds, like California tax free. If you're in California or Oregon, if you're Oregon or you're in a state like, you know, Nevada, then it's national municipal bonds, tax free bonds. So as you start to do things like, okay, I'm selling my RSUs, I'm investing them in a tax-efficient portfolio, which is mostly large-cap U.S. stocks, you might need to go into your 401k and change where your contributions are going so you don't get too overweight in large-cap. If you're adding to a bunch of large-cap in your taxable account, you might need to go into your 401k and make sure you're adding to small-cap, international, emerging markets, mid-cap, and uh, you know, real estate, commodities, and things like that. So you own all of the asset classes, but you own them tax-efficiently. For example, a really good small cap growth fund has a lot of turnover. Turnover means if you own it in a taxable account, even though you didn't sell any shares, you can end up paying capital gains because the manager of the fund sold a bunch of stuff that did well. They bought a bunch of small cap companies. They did really well. They turned into mid cap companies or were purchased. So they had to sell them. And that capital gain comes through and you have to pay it. Well, if that small cap growth fund is held in your 401k or your Roth, you're not going to pay any taxes on it. If it's held in your taxable account, you will. So once you start adding money outside your 401k, you have to pay attention to asset location. There's asset allocation, which is what does the overall pie chart look like? Large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, bonds, commodities, real estate, uh, all of those different asset classes. And then what types of accounts do you own them in? Your large, your, your taxable account should be large cap oriented and tax free bonds. And then everything else in the 401ks and the Roths. And typically you want your Roth to be a little bit more aggressive, more on the small cap side, emerging market side, things like that. So that's part of building an overall asset allocation strategy. Asset allocation is the number one important thing. Uh, it's not what individual stock you own. It's just making sure you own the proper asset classes. And it doesn't mean you're going to outperform the stock market every year. It means you're going to keep up with the market in the good years and typically outperform in the bad years. So for example, if, and you look at a, a 64 to US stock bond fund, like 60% US stocks in the SP 500, 40% US bonds, a diversified portfolio that had even more stocks, but they had less bonds and, and commodities and real estate and some international actually outperformed. This last year on the downside. Also, as we get towards the end of the show here, make sure you get your cash working for you. Your savings account should be earning 3.3 to 4%. Online savings accounts know how FDIC insurance works. You get $250 $250 for per person. A joint account gets $500,000 of FDIC insurance. If you have a living trust, it's typically you plus your kids. You get 4% or more on 26 and 52-week T bills at Treasury Direct. So get your cash earning money. Have a great day. You can find me at chadburton.com. Links to the podcast, everything is all there at chadburton.com.